Sir Balpin, you're going to brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Study. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Study making his weekly Monday appearance on a Monday. This is a weekly Monday appearance. It has occurred against all odds on a Monday. The managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is guest on this edition of the program. As he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball of particular note this week. Two notable players will remain absent from their respective clubs for at least two or three months. Starling Marte received an 80-game suspension after testing positive for PEDs. Madison Bumgarner, meanwhile, hurt himself while riding some manner of dirt bicycle and is expected to miss six or eight weeks at the very least. What are the implications for Marte's absence and Bumgarner's absence to their respective clubs? What are those implications? That question, or those dual questions, serve as the basic framework for the conversation to follow. However, that same conversation is also marked by a number of tangents, because that's how humans talk is why. And that's even also how Dave Cameron talks is why. Speaking of Dave Cameron, he, for some reason, condescends to share the mantra that he repeats to himself before he records every episode of Fangraphs Audio. I should just be a good citizen uh, and go along with it, even if I don't want to do this. Dark confessions like that one in all of what's to follow. Allow me to remind you before we get to the conversation, however, that Fangraphs memberships exist. If you would like to show your support for Fangraphs.com, you can do so for a reasonable sum. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, you can acquire a Fangraphs ad-free membership, which allows readers to surf the part of the internet on which Fangraphs exists without the tyranny or the burden or the tyranny of banner ads, allowing for faster browsing speeds and also liberation from the distortive effects of advertising. So it's a win-win for everyone. What is it? It is Fangraphs ad-free membership. It's available by way of the link at the post for this edition of the program. Okay. I believe I've said all of the things that I am required to say. So let's get to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. When does it begin? Right now. I want to tell you something. If you hear a little ambient noise, that's my neighbor. He's cleaning out his beehive. Ah, is he eating chips too? No, but you're cleaning out his beehive. And that's not that's not um, an, uh, a euphemism for anything. <laughs> that's not innuendo? No, it's not. He's really cleaning out his beehive. It's old John. He's cleaning out his beehive. All right. Things all that happen in Maine. All his bees, um, all his bees died... Uh, accidentally, because there was like a we had a little bit of warmth maybe in February, and they started waking up, you know. Yeah. And uh, then they didn't. Uh, well, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah. They all died. Hey, can I make an educated guess? Yeah. Can I guess that John, the beekeeper who lives in Maine, is white? Yeah, yeah. You can make that guess if you okay. want. Sure. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> well, Cameron. Cameron. Yeah. This is. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to get there? Do you want to start talking about that? <laughs> do you know that? Do you know that Maine is home uh, to a rich immigrant community? Yeah, we African. talked about this, right? Like, there's a big Somali population. Somali and other uh, African nations, and, uh, and like that's why one high school is like particularly good at soccer. That is, there's, there is yes, the the high school in Lewiston is, is, is was the state champs yeah. um, because they 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 had a number of. Young people, 
uh, from where soccer is uh, the only sport, I guess, or the main yeah. sport. I can imagine Maine kids born and raised in Maine, probably not big soccer players. No, there's uh, – right, there's not not as much, but probably more so. I mean, it's become, I think – well, when you and I were growing up, I don't know if this was your experience. It was my experience. It was a youth sport. Yeah. Soccer was a youth sport. And right. then um, I think probably – at least my opinion of it changed right around one World Cup after which uh, I think I probably got like gold TV or whatever. And it's been on ESP like since I've been in college. It's – the Champions League has been on ESPN or whatever. So I'd say probably for 15, 20 years now, it's been a sport you could access pretty easily. Yeah, but I think it's still largely a youth sport in America. I mean, like, obviously MLS is a thing, but, you know, it is on a lower rung than the other professional sports in the, in the, at the major level. Yeah. Do you think it'll, do you think it'll pass the NHL? Uh, eventually, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, long run, yeah, sure. Uh, short run, no. Hmm. I remember uh, it's, watching. It's way, it's way behind. Is it? Yeah. I mean, what? Okay. There's like 12 MLS teams or something like that? No, I think it was 20 or 25. Is there really? Yeah. Okay, well, see, <laughs> the uneducated person who doesn't follow MLS doesn't know how many MLS teams there are. <laughs> so therefore that's... is totally qualified to talk about the gap between leagues. <laughs> Let's see. Count them. Was that? That's a new one that's coming. Los Angeles FC is coming. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. Twenty-two. Huh. Twenty-two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're not as far behind as I thought. <laughs> it's there's a certain there's a there's a real special pleasure attached to those moments, Dave Cameron, when um, when I'm able to witness you. Realizing that you might be wrong about something. It, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. Oh, <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't it, Dave Cameron? Yeah. Hey, well, listen. I don't. I don't admit to it very often, anyway. No, I, that's true. Yeah. I'm going to. I'm definitely going to inquire uh, with you today about two two clubs, Dave Cameron, that have lost uh, an important player recently. Let's All start right. with the team that lost their important player first. And that is the Pittsburgh Pirates and Starling Marte. I don't think we addressed this last week. Only no. briefly, maybe. I think this happened after we podcasted, actually. You're, yes, you're right. Yeah. So you're unless right, we had foreknowledge, we did not talk about this. We had talked We had talked in passing about Adam Frazier. Yeah. Um, because he comes up with some frequency on the program. Because I'm optimistic about his future. Yeah. I don't know if you've uh, ever gone to the Baseball Savant uh, StatCast leaderboards and sorted by, like, average exit velocity on, like, fly balls. Yeah. If you want to sort ascending, you will find Adam Frazier down there uh, toward the bottom. <laughs> Just pointing that out. So, no, what is that, average exit, average exit velocity? On fly balls, yeah. Because, like, balls. ground ball exit velocity, like, it matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter that much. Like, ground balls, you know, whatever, you're not going to hit for a lot of power anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam Frazier, I think, on fly balls, his average exit velocity is, like, Behind Ben Revere, maybe it's, it's right. not great. well. Not a um, and do we know anything? What do we know about uh, the rate at which that type of metric becomes reliable? Yeah, I don't think we know for sure yet. Uh, I think people have done some studies, but because we have just such limited data, we have, now we have two plus years of data, and not all uh, not all hits are available, not all plays are tracked. It's it's difficult to come to firm conclusions. So it seems like when you sort the leaderboard and you see like Miguel Sano and Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge at the top, you're like, this seems reasonable. Uh, mm. But uh, but I don't think we know. Like at 75 plate appearances, you know for sure. 
Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> right. That's good. It, but it is true, yeah, if you start seeing the relevant, the names that make sense, the names of the players right. uh, to whom you've become accustomed hitting the ball yeah. far away. Like Billy Hamilton is, I think, almost always last on the exit velocity leaderboard. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. passes the smell test. Yeah. You know, I was looking. Uh, this is not. This has nothing to do with the, the question. I was. Well, this has nothing to do with Starling Marte. However, uh, I was looking at the our leaderboards today, following the addition of UZR. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to ask you about what, what, uh, how, what this, the, the implications, I guess, of this addition of UZR of the updated methodology. But I saw that Byron Buxton, despite recording, what, I mean, what is essentially the worst. The worst line you could produce offensively has has at least compensated compensated for that line sufficiently with his defense to be exactly a replacement level player. Yeah, I think we have him at plus five UZR, which uh, in three weeks so times twenty six weeks, so it's uh, you know you basically put it at like plus forty five over the whole year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byron Buxton looks like a really good defender. I'm gonna guess he can't keep that up. No, sure, right, but but I but that's the sort of. That's the Billy Hamilton skill set, right? Right. Like, this is, is kind of an interesting question of, like, uh, if you hit, like, a pitcher, which is what Byron Buxton's doing, mm-hmm. how good a defender would you have to be to make a roster spot? Like, Byron Buxton in his current form isn't playable. Like, if he did this for him, and he's already been out of the lineup regularly the last week or so, you know, if he keeps struggling like this, he's going to end up back in AAA. But at the replacement level, he's at least rosterable. Like, you could you could carry this guy as your fifth outfielder, maybe, if you just pitch it for him all the time and put him in as a defensive replacement. So the question would be, like, if you hit, like, a pitcher, which Buxton's doing, how good defensively would you have to be in order to just be on the roster? It looks like it's, like, plus 50 UZR. Yeah, that's that's what, that's what he's doing. Yeah. And what, what, uh, what do we know about sending guys down? I don't know, just because you see that. I mean, obviously, at a certain point, it's untenable for the major league team yeah. to have a, like an entire black hole offensively, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Twins don't necessarily have a lot of margin for error if they have any hopes of competing. So, but at the same time, you do not want a young player who has at, at moments been considered the top prospect in baseball just sitting on your bench. Yeah. What what is the what is the recent history, I guess? What is the general history of sending down a player like that, I mean, what what are, what are you hoping for? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the, so the question is, is there something Buxton can learn at the minor league level that he can't learn at the major league level? And I don't know the answer to that question, because at the minor league level, he hasn't actually struck out all that much. Like, not, like, at the major league level, his career strikeout rate's, like, over 40% now, and, like, this year it's, right. like, 50%. This is, like, you know, Joey Gallo levels of swing and miss. Uh Byron Buxton in the minors is like 20%, 25%. Like, it's not good contact skills. It's not Adam Frazier. But you could live with a 20% strikeout rate. Like, a, that's league average in the major leagues now. So the question is, like, what is happening to Buxton in the major leagues to cause him to swing and miss with this insane degree of frequency that is not happening in the minor leagues? And is there some way for him to fix it in the minor leagues? And if the answer is no, then sending him down doesn't do you any good. Like, having him go back to AAA and post a 20% strikeout rate is not helping the organization. So uh, I think that's what they're trying to figure out is, like, can we fix this in the big leagues? Right. And and, he, and it should be noted that he's posted – when he has posted, uh, you know, non-elite strikeout rates, so right around 20% in the minor leagues, he's also done that playing at, like, two, three, four years below the league average age. Right. So, like, he's he, he's been ahead of the curve – um, by by age in every you know at every level at which he's played, right. but now but you're right. He just 
it's that it's that transition. And some players, it appears to have very little effect. Like Joe Panic, for example, yeah, who was a right. great contact hitter in the minors. He right. came up to the majors, and you know maybe his first season or two, he recorded a strikeout rate that was not on par with his minor league numbers. But that would have been difficult. Is the point? Yeah. yeah. And but then you have players like you, we were talking about. Buxton, a player who has now, I, I, my guess is that the world does not spend a lot of time thinking about Travis Jankowski, but he's gotten quite a few plate appearances for the Padres this year, as he did last year. And Travis Jankowski routinely ran strikeout rates below 15% as a minor leaguer. And then last year, he struck out 26% of his plate appearances. This year, he struck out in nearly 36% of them. Right. And that is, you do not expect to see that. What is the, what, what, I don't know, what, how could that be? What, what do you think is, is it like maybe the extra jump in velocity? Yeah, is it, this is probably an area of study. Anyone who's listening to this who's like, oh man, I want to do a sabermetric research project on something that hasn't been thoroughly fleshed out yet, this is actually a really good one to tackle. Because uh, you could say, uh, there is minor league velocity readings. The teams have it, you'd have to like, you know, become friends with a someone who works for a team who would give you, like, minor league track man data or something, or see if you can just, like, talk to Sport Vision, who has pitch effects still in the minor leagues, and say, hey, I want to do a research project. Can I get anonymized data uh, or some some kind of uh, access to data that I will, you know, sign a limited use license for, or, you know, talk to MLB, see if you can get it from them. You'd have to acquire the data somehow in order to have a systematic velocity readings that aren't just, you know, what people report on Twitter or something. Uh, but, you know, potentially you could even write a code that scraped Baseball America. There's ways to acquire the data, but you could look at it and say, okay, are the guys who are having these big jumps in strikeout rates, is that something we can identify? It's like, did they face a, a larger shift in velocity from what they faced in the minor leagues to the major leagues? Is that a, an indication where perhaps these guys are struggling with 97 when they weren't seeing that in the minor leagues? Or is it pitches outside the strike zone? Are they chasing more breaking balls? Like, what What is the actual... Uh, change in the evaluation of what they're doing is it high spin pitches like i don't think we know the answer to this but it yeah would be, right uh, it'd be a fun research project yeah well and it's interesting because it it, it might be it might point to a certain type of <clears throat> sorry certain type of skill set that doesn't translate particularly well or a certain right. type of, of 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 batting tools because as we mentioned there are players who do not appear to suffer much from it and the <coughs> thing that makes Minor league translations or, or, you know, major league translations of minor league stats tenable in the first place is that as a population, there's a fairly normal um, penalty, essentially, for moving from AAA to the majors, right? right. Yeah. That's the average of it. But uh, if you can identify some guys at the fringes um, who who appear to, to adapt either particularly well or particularly poorly. And again, Jankowski is a strange example because he did not do a lot of striking out as a minor leaguer. Right. So why would that why would that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because this um, axiom kind of exists in scouting circles, right? Where you'll hear, hear you'll hear about guys with a slider bat speed and uh, say, oh yeah, you can hit a breaking ball, but if you throw him anything fast, you know, if you power him with a high fastball in on his hands, he's not going to be able to get around on it. This is definitely something that scouts believe to be true: is that uh, some guys are certainly able to catch up with velocity and other guys aren't. Especially guys with longer swings. You hear that a lot, uh, where this guy is going to basically get beaten inside with good velocity, but he can hit, you know, 89 on the outside corner. Um, but as soon as, like, good pitchers start pitching him inside, he's going to be totally exposed. And I think you hear this a lot about kind of these, like, quad-A sluggers, like Dan Vogelbach. This gets talked about a little bit. Um, or what, uh, I guess maybe, um, 
Tyler White, who the Astros used a little bit last year, was a guy who mm-hmm. put up good minor league numbers, but scouts were like, this guy's not really going to hit because uh, the bat speed's not there. So the, the idea that this there is an identifiable lack of skill that can kind of identify this guy is not going to produce what his translations would say is a thing that uh, major league teams believe. And I think this is one of the reasons why Eric Thames signed for $15 million this winter is people are like, you know, we don't know what his performance against Korean pitchers tells us against what he's going to do against major league pitchers. Obviously, I think teams like have a do-over on that one if they've seen what he's done <laughs> in the major league pitchers the first three weeks. So it, it would be fascinating to see, and I, I would imagine major league teams have already done this, but like for the public, if we can find some way to either prove or disprove this idea that there are identifiable traits that we can look at and be like, this guy, here's the reason he struck out 15% of the time in the minors and 40% of the time in the majors. Yeah. Uh, we, we're not going to uh, discuss Eric Thames at, at length this week because we did for much of our conversation last week. However, just an update: he's been worth uh, roughly twelve million dollars by the methodology we use, you know, in terms of wins and cost of a win. He was signed for sixteen million dollars total. He's now he's now paid for both for both his two thousand seventeen and two thousand eighteen seasons, and part of twenty nineteen. Part of twenty nineteen, yeah. yeah. So good contract, Brewers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I guess it's the most that Eric Thames could get. He probably wishes the teams believed the yeah. uh, the Korean translations a little bit more strongly, too. Although I will say there was an article that came out last week about, like, Thames apparently came to Milwaukee when the Brewers were courting him and, like, got to know. And he talked about how he really likes the Midwest. And one of his great quotes about, like, why he really likes Milwaukee is, I like beer. So mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe he took less in order to, you know, play in the capital of Miller Lite. He doesn't look like someone who drinks a lot of beer. Well, Miller Lite, right? That's the thing. Maybe he, it's true. Yeah. Maybe he's not like drinking those heavy porters. He's having the water, watered down uh, yeah. yellow stuff. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe he just, but because he has a he has a sort of body type that you can't that is, you know, I mean, it, it's like definitely a combination of nature and nurture. Yeah. Do you he has know, a sculpted physique. Yeah. It's not something I do not have. Well, I have neither the will. I don't. I clearly don't have the will. But I also do not have any of the raw material. He does. He is a particular sort of athlete. Yeah. Uh, this is all by way of, of a long, a long tangent from our conversation about Starling Marte and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Who I don't think we actually said two words about before. We no, we on. haven't. But but it's uh, uh, it's been compelling nonetheless. So Starling Marte uh, found uh, suspended for eighty games because of Nadrum. Nadrolone. Nadrolone? Nadrolone. Um, <clears throat> and what was, what seemed, especially maybe at the beginning of last season, uh, to be, I'd say, uh, one of the top outfield, outfields in the majors, one of the top outfield defenses in the majors, frequently referred to as an outfield featuring three center fielders, now has um, Andrew McCutcheon in the center field following a subpar season there. Um, defensively, uh, Gregory Polanco, I suppose, in one of the corners, and then some combination of Adam Frazier and Jose Osuna. Yeah. And whomever else. They, they could decide. stick Josh Bell out there if they wanted to. They could, yeah. Um, so that's not great for them. I've seen estimates of uh, two wins. The, I've seen it overall equaling two wins for the Pirates. Yeah, Is that right? Have to lose Marte for half the season, yeah. Okay. Now, uh, no, not on this program, but on the – uh, the pitch, the Blue Jays podcast, which we have been, um, for, for, for which we've become the hosts, yeah. accidentally. <laughs> um, we uh, 
We talked about the Blue Jays. Of course, you've written about the Blue Jays for the electronic pages of Fangraphs and how if they continue – if if they do not have a winning streak that compensates an equal that uh, equal and opposite to their uh, losing streaks, uh, then they will uh, – then they should – then they'll have to be considering uh, a, a rebuild. Uh, is it, does this put the Pirates in anything like that type of situation? Uh, it's probably not quite as desperate in the sense of like um, you can expect to get Starling Marte back at, for the second half of the year, and while you like Adam Frazier, it's not that hard to upgrade over replacement level players. So like for instance, yesterday the Mariners designated for assignment Leonis Martin, who's a not good. He's Byron Buxton, kind of like he's a good defensive center fielder who doesn't hit much, and uh, he's off to a terrible start. The Mariners decided they had Gerard Dyson, uh, who can play center field and not hit, so they didn't need Leonis Martin to play center field and not hit. So Leonis Martin is now out there for anyone who wants to, you know, trade for him and take the four million dollars he's left on his contract this year. Did they get him for free, basically? The Mariners they got him for Tom Wilhelmson, who then turned into a terrible reliever. So kind oh, of, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it didn't Pirates, really work out for anybody, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Martin was actually pretty good last year. I think he was a two and a half win player last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's what thirty, and uh, the bat has been inconsistent, which is why the Rangers gave him away. Uh, and he's looked atrocious so far this year in April. Um, so if the Pirates decided they wanted Leonis Martin basically for free, uh, you know, they just have to take the four million dollars. They could do so, and Leonis Martin would replace like half of the loss of Starling Marte over the next couple months. But it's an interesting question of, like, do the Pirates, now they've moved McCutcheon back to center field for a week, and it's like the first time McCutcheon ran down a ball in the gap, he was very vocal about, like, yelling after the catch, this is my spot, this is my position. Clearly McCutcheon still wants to play center field. He was willing to move to right field because Starling Marte is an all-star. Would he be willing to move back to right field because they claim Leonis Martin on waivers? I don't know. Uh, so that's, like, a kind of an interpersonal... Uh, chemistry question that the organization would have to figure out, but it's not that hard for them to recoup some of the lost value just being like, hey, look, we can do better than Adam Frazier and Josh Bell and Jose Osuna. Um, so I wouldn't think that this is like a death bell, death blow to the, the Pirates. Uh, I do think you could make an argument, though, that the Pirates just aren't good enough to contend anyway. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, their asking price for McCutcheon this winter was too high, and if he bounces back and reestablishes some trade value uh, by the deadline, they should probably look to trade him this summer. Uh, and, and potentially going to a little bit of a, not a rebuild, but, uh, uh, realigning their expectations for when their, you know, young players like Tyler Glasnow are actually good, which is currently not now. Yeah, I remember reading, oh, maybe Sachek covered, Travis Sachek covered it, which would not be surprising because he has some intimate knowledge of the Pirates. Um, reading about, reading, oh yeah, Andrew McCutcheon's statement regarding the move back to center. And he said that center field – you said something um, that was a bit more assertive than I would have anticipated, like center field is mine yeah. or something like this, um, when it seemed as though he had been um, r- relatively deferential at the time when – at least publicly at the time when uh, the team uh, moved uh, Marte or announced that, that uh, Marte would play center field. Because I think what McCutcheon's response was to tweet out a picture of Roberto Clemente yeah. and therefore sort of – you know, uh, speaking to the the sort of reverence he might have for right field in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so I think McCutcheon's a smart guy, and he knows that, like, throwing a tantrum isn't going to help him, especially because the Pirates tried to trade him, couldn't trade him because their asking price was too high. 
So then he was kind of, they were kind of stuck with each other. So he could make the situation worse and like throw a tantrum and, you know, say, hey, look, I, I demand to play here when there's still affinity within the city for Gregory Plonko and, and Starling Marte. These guys are also signed to long-term contracts longer than McCutcheon is. And he could kind of see like, hey, look, you know, the organization's throwing their lot in with these two other guys. They probably have a future here. I don't. I should just be a good citizen um, and go along with it, even if I don't want to do this. I think that's probably a different story when it comes to claiming someone off waivers or, uh, you know, a Leonis Martin type, where if he's getting bumped back to right field for, for someone outside the organization who also doesn't really have a future, I can see that not going as well. And McCutcheon being less willing to play the good soldier and say, that's fine, do whatever you want, uh, because I think it's pretty clear he still wants to play center field. Yeah, it's really not an ideal cir- circumstance anyway for the team. I mean, obviously above and beyond losing Marte, who's – who Marte, by the way, I hadn't realized how good he'd been. I always um, – in my mind, he's an above average – certainly above average defender in a corner outfield. He can hit too. Right, and, and, is, good, yeah. and is good on contact. And he's still um, – He's not very good on contact. Is he not very good on contact? No, he's like a, he runs like 20 to 25% strike rates every year. Oh, no, sorry. What I mean is he has good, essentially good results when he does make contact. Oh, yeah, his bad is high. Yeah, right. That's what yeah, I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and he's uh, he's the sort of player who against whom I'm perpetually biased and because um, I guess I feel uncomfortable with my own ability to assess such a player in that, right, I mean, he's, he's maintained like a 290 batting average as a major leaguer yeah. solely on the strengths of the quality of his contact. Yeah, and he doesn't actually even hit them all that hard. Like, Marte's a really interesting guy. He doesn't control the strike zone, really. He doesn't hit the ball that hard, but he's really fast. And so he, a lot of his singles turn into doubles, doubles turn into triples. So he kind of gives himself extra power by um, getting extra base hits that maybe aren't extra base hits for everybody. And he hits the ball. He doesn't hit, he hardly hits over infield flies. So he gets, you know, kind of the, the speed and... Um, spray bump in terms of uh, Babbitt. So he can run like a 340, 350 Babbitt every year, which makes up for the fact that he strikes out and doesn't hit for a lot of power. Yeah, right. It was it was the same thing. The first player I ever sort of encountered like that was, was Howie Kendrick, I guess, yeah. coming up. Because yeah. Howie Kendrick did not really control the strike zone particularly well. Kendrick didn't strike out. That was kind of Kendrick's thing. It's like Kendrick was an overly aggressive hitter, but he made a lot of contact. He was more of like the Jose Altuve mold. Yeah. I mean, but it's not like it's not again. It's not like Joe Panic level. He struck out seventeen percent of his plate appearances. So, that's, what, year, what last year? Well, in his career. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think early in his career, and Kendrick was like closer to ten early in his career. No, he was he? never. Really? The lowest he ever produced was fourteen point three. Okay. Cameron. Fourteen point three is closer to ten. It's closer to ten. Yeah, it's yeah. not ten. Well, that's like closer to ten. All right. Listen, Cameron. Wait, wait. <laughs> I'm observing you being wrong. That's the, the <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> let me just let me have this moment. The point is that the point is that the Kendrick's real skill is the fact that he he has great results on contact. Right. Yeah. That's the point. I, These I are the anti Adam Duds. They don't walk. They don't strike out that much. They don't have very much power, but they're good anyway. Right. Yeah, and it, I, for me, it's it's terrifying to it. But everyone knew Kendrick was going to be. Uh, and like that's remember where like the one of the first issues I think I ever bought of Baseball America was like Howie Kendrick is going to be a 300 hitter, right? And I was like, well, well at the time I was like, okay, <laughs> that's what I was like. That's how I talked. Okay. Um, all right, we discussed uh, Starling Marte. Let us draw our attention now um, to Madison Bumgarner and the San Francisco Giants, uh, about which club you wrote today. 
in the context of the loss of the of that player, Madison Bumgarner, who hurt himself. Uh, is this is this? Do you think it's a true? St- I don't care. I honestly don't care. But do you think it's a true story? I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why he would make up something that made him look foolish. I mean, like, you know, hey, I crashed my dirt bike. Something I shouldn't be doing. Like, I'm pretty sure it's in his contract. He's not allowed to do this. Uh, I, you know, I injured my shoulder on my off day doing a prohibited activity. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, why would that be the story? Like, what, what were you actually doing that this was the better version? You were actually, like, murdering a hooker and it went badly? I mean, like. Murdering a hooker with a dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, can't, I can't imagine the true story that makes this the good alternative. Because because this is – is it pretty uh, – in terms of especially probably pitcher contracts, is it pretty common to have limitations like that? Yeah, I mean it's standard uniform player contract that basically everyone signs is you don't get to do dangerous activities. You don't get to play basketball. You don't get to ski. You don't get to do MMA. Like these are This is prohibited in basically every player's contract. Basketball is a dangerous activity? Yeah, you can tear your ACL. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like at least one player has heard himself playing basketball. Uh, I bet it was probably Mark Hendrickson. <laughs> yeah, but, but then that's that's why he left basketball and became <laughs> became a baseball player. Then he switched back, I think, didn't he? Oh, did he? I think he switched back. I think he went basketball, baseball, basketball. He's an interesting athlete. He's he's actually the sort of two the two sport example of some of the two way players we were discussing what a couple weeks ago right like the Casey Kelly yeah Casey Kelly uh, combination of injury and ineffectiveness have you know have made it very difficult for him to become a major league player an effective one and but he was like he was good enough at both to kind of you know to sort of navigate you know to be drafted um, in a you know pretty high by the Red Sox and like Mark Hendrickson is probably I mean, relative to the human population, he's he's like easily in the top one percent, both of basketball and baseball, right? Yeah. And yet, sure. and yet he is not not great at either, relative not, to other professionals. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of two-way players, this is an interlude. We'll get back to the Giants eventually. Uh, what do you like? Do you know Brendan McKay, the college player that you're obviously familiar with? How, yeah. how big a fan are you? Well, Cause, I'm not. Cause you do a, these college stat. Posts yeah, usually, and you, I mean, I think you he's a good pick a, pick a college player that you really like. Yeah, I mean, I like. I think he's a. I mean, I think he's a good hitter, but I don't think he's. I mean, there, there aren't a lot of guys who play first base in college and then go on to to a major league career. Mark Teixeira was pretty good. Okay, the fact that you brought it, brought about an example of a retired player, <laughs> David Cameron, <laughs> that's probably illustrative. Uh, there might be some other names, yes. But usually, but Mark Teixeira, and this is, I guess this actually might prove both of our points, Mark Teixeira started off as a third baseman. That's right. He did play third base during yeah. Jack, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, so that's the thing. Yes, a lot of times they become first basemen. But it's well, because so is they, Brandon McKay only playing first base because he's pitching and they don't want him like making throws on days he's not pitching? Yeah, that could be the case. You did not turn to me for all of the college information, but I don't think he's played a lot of like even corner outfield. Maybe he's maybe he's athletic enough to do that. Anyway, so from what I've heard, is McKay's uh, potentially going to go number one overall, uh, and I thought I found this interesting. It was like a, a two way college player potentially being the number one pick is uh, is kind of an interesting narrative. Yeah, I wonder how good he is relative to uh, AJ Reed from a couple years ago because I think Reed was one of the best. Pitchers and hitters in all of the SEC. I have to say, Carson, I, won't, I don't read most of the things you write on Pegrass. I would read a post about Brendan McKay and AJ Reed. Okay, 
<laughs> how much how much better is Brendan McKay than E.J. Reed, if oh. at all? That's the entire title. <laughs> yeah, I would read that post. Okay. Well, expect it w- weeks from now. <laughs> okay. What about if Eric Longenagin wrote the post? I would read it. I would read it no matter who wrote the post. You would? Yeah. Okay. Well, we can look into it. Um, I don't know. My initial thought is that Brendan McKay is probably best He's probably best utilized as a pitcher. Well, if you're at, what, the, the Twins are the number one pick this year, and I think the Reds are two. Yeah. So maybe more valuable to the, to the Reds, who already have one of these pitchers who can hit, Michael Lorenzen. So. They have a field, the whole team of them? Yeah, just be like, well, we're not going to have good hitters. Let's have pitchers <laughs> who can hit. Has it actually oh, – the Reds' bullpen has been interesting recently. Yeah. The, They've been pretty fluid. Way. Yeah. Um, I wrote about it. I think Craig Edwards wrote about it a little yeah. bit. Rysel Iglesias is like the closer, but sometimes he comes in in the third inning. <laughs> and uh, and uh, in high leverage like time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Lorenzen, Lorenzen throws the ball hard. I guess I hadn't yeah. realized he throws the ball so hard. Yeah, Iglesias and Lorenzen are high-quality relievers being used in a very non-traditional manner. Uh, and then the, there's another – there's a third pitcher, Wandy Peralta. Have Wandy you seen him Peralta, throw yet? Wandy Peralta, yeah. He's uh, – and to, to give a sense of how obscure he was, uh, Jeff Sullivan, I think, one of the first days of the season, wrote a piece in which he said something – he invoked Wandy Peralta's name, and he had to – Say he had to write add in parentheses. This is a player in the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, this is not one, uh, like I, well, the first time I saw it was like Wandy Rodriguez got caught lying about his name and like came back as like an age gate guy and like yeah. this is the new Wandy Rodriguez. No, this Wandy Peralta is just another person. There's two Wandys Wandy Peralta, out there. He the Wandy Peralta throws 95 miles per hour from the left side, and he also throws a slider and a changeup. And that it was the changeup with which he uh, got the most swings and misses the day I watched him. Yeah. I will say, like, this, like, surge of velocity has made it, like, uh, the other day, like, I saw Jacob Barnes pitching for the Milwaukee Brewers, and yeah. he struck out the side against the Cubs and just looked, like, he was throwing 96 to 98 with a crazy slider, uh, and I was like, this is a guy I've never heard of, who <laughs> just struck out, like, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, and just, like, mowed through, and, like, I've literally, I don't know anything about this guy. He's a middle <laughs> reliever on a rebuilding team. He's like the number two setup guy behind Corey Nebel. Like this is this is not a guy you'd be like, oh yeah, this is uh, someone I expect to be throwing. Like if and like it was five years ago that if you were throwing ninety six to ninety eight in college, you were a first round pick, even if you were a reliever, right? Like there was like the Ryan Wagners and like teams were just like anyone who could throw in the upper nineties, even if they didn't project at all as a starter. This is a first round pick, or at least like a second round pick, or like, you know, one of the teams that was trying to, you know, get a guy to the major leagues really quickly would have used you as a high first round pick. So, like, Jacob Barnes is now just a nondescript guy, just another middle reliever in Milwaukee on a team that's not trying to win, throwing what would have been first round pick stuff a few years ago. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, like, I mean, that, there are a bunch of guys out there like that who were, who, who, Ascend from anonymity to like a, to like a regular setup role. Yeah, I mean Kyle Kyle Bearclaw. Kyle Bearclaw. Yeah. I mean, last year this time, did you know who Kyle Bearclaw was? Or mostly he, he just he was like kind of the three true outcome pitcher. So I knew him because his walks and strikeout rates were both insanely high. Yeah. But and yeah, then I mean, uh, Hector Neris. Hector Neris. Hector Neris. Yeah. On Philadelphia, and he's yeah. he has one nasty pitch, doesn't he's he? He's got a splitter that he throws like eighty percent of the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but he also throws quite hard. I, yeah, 
There's just this, uh, the game is just full of like, who are you? Oh, you throw ninety eight. Cool. <laughs> okay, Giants. Yeah, let's talk about the Giants. So they don't have Madison Bumgarner, uh, and they won't. What what the the optimistic projection is six to eight weeks, right? Yeah, and it sounds like since that come out came out, a lot of people are skeptical about that timeline. Like, I know Buster Olney and Ken Rosenthal and some others have noted, like people within the Giants organization think this could be a season-ending injury. Mm, okay, and and in the meantime, what the Giants put up was it the second worst record? Uh, yeah, the worst record in the National League, second worst record in baseball, six and thirteen. And after the Bumgarner news came out, they went to Colorado and got their brains beaten in by the Rockies. And yet, Dave Cameron says, don't punt the season. Yeah, don't, don't do it just yet. So Andrew Baggerly wrote a column for the Mercury News. I think that's the news name of the paper. San Jose Mercury News, maybe. Uh, and he basically said, like, you know, it's an even year. It's an odd year. This is not the Giants' year. Let's just punt the season. Uh, you know, you can trade Johnny Cueto and Eduardo Nunez. You can look at some young kids. Uh, you know, they. this is a team that's getting older. The rest of the division's getting younger. The Giants are probably going to, you know, need to reset at some point. Maybe the Bumgarner injury allows them to do so, which is not an unreasonable point. Um, but I guess my counter was there are only three good teams in the National League. Like, if you look at the um, projected standings in the National League, we have three teams over 90 and no one above 84. Like, no one else above 84. You have this giant void between the Dodgers, Nationals, and Cubs and everybody else in the league. And two other teams who do not currently project for more than 84 wins, are going to make the playoffs because there are five playoff spots in the National League. So the Giants are not in a great position, obviously. Uh, and if Bumgarner is up for the year, this probably changes the calculation some. But if he really does come back in June or maybe July uh, and they're going to get Bumgarner for the second half of the year, I don't know that it's totally crazy to say, you know, we're only uh, a few games behind the Mets. We're only a, a game or two behind the Cardinals. Uh, these are the teams we actually think we're going to be competing against. It's nice that the Rockies are off to a good start. Good for the Diamondbacks for having a good April, but like we don't actually expect the Diamondbacks to play 600 baseball all year long. Uh, and so we think that we can get to 85 to 88 wins, and that's going to keep us in the playoff race. Okay, Dave Gammon, I don't know entirely what we discussed. Essentially, this has been a series of tangents, a series of tangents, and yet it has added up to 35 minutes of baseball content. So I should stop talking. We should all stop talking. Yeah, okay. I, I think agree what, you, that. what you've done is you've fulfilled your obligation to Fancraft's audio. Okay. All right. Sorry, well, Giants uh, fans who listened for 34 minutes that got very little on Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, well, you wrote a whole piece about it. That's right. 1,800 words. Go just read the, read the fight. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, and some of them are good. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, so so I would say I say thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. Yeah, all right. And then I say uh, this has been... No what, no, what do I say? Say that is, yes, here's what I say. I say that has been Managing Editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs. Audio.